I want to pray over our offering this morning. And I want, first, I want to welcome our live streaming audience. I was in, my wife and I were in Dallas, Texas last, uh, last weekend, and we were able to come online and watch y'all. And uh, so it's just, uh, it's just a blessing. So I want to thank our AV Sound guys. Let's give them a hand. Yeah. They, uh, guys, bless us. And all of our diversity of worship, just uh, amazing. We're going to have a worship arts meeting for our leadership immediately after service. So we'll meet in the great room. If you're part of our worship leadership team, you know who that is. We want to uh, gather together on that. Well, I just want to thank God. We had an amazing time. Uh, House of Mercy is always so good. We have a lot of volunteers that come out. But Thursday, uh, it was just a time of worship. And um, I just felt compelled to offer salvation. We had four hands go up for salvation on Thursday. And, uh, you know, it's just a, a wonderful outreach, and I thank you for all that you help us do to, to reach different nations, people groups, the Lifeline Pregnancy, the radio station, the outreach to the campuses, the ministries there, our local ministries and our nation and our, abroad. We just, Lord, we just want to come before you with humble hearts, and we exalt Thee. We exalt Thee with our hearts, our minds, our resources. So I ask You to bless the tithes and offerings this morning. I often ask that You would convert these dollars into the souls of men, that we would be able to see. On that day, when we come into that place, we'll see the fruit of all that You have done. And so, Lord, we thank You. We thank You for the the giving and the opportunity to give these gifts and offerings to you. So we just want to take that time. Lord, we thank you right now in Jesus' name. Lord, we ask that you would activate the word this morning, and you know exactly where all of us are. So, Lord, I ask you to bring a place of comfort to the places where we are not comfortable. In the areas that we're too comfortable, I ask you to shake it up. (laughs) So, Lord, we thank you that your word is active. It's alive. It cuts. It's able to discern the intents and the thoughts of the mind and the heart. And so, Lord, we thank you that you who began a work, he says in Philippians 1, 6, he who began the work in you will perform it till the day he comes. And so, Lord, we thank you that in the process of sanctification, that walk in the journey of life, filled with all sorts of choices and opportunities, you give us the word, you give us the opportunity to grow us up. And we thank you, Lord, that this morning you would do what we cannot do for ourselves. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I wrote a bunch of questions down. You know how in Scripture um, there's tension between Scripture? One Scripture will say, 
Um, he'll never leave you or forsake you, right? And then it, we know from when Jesus is baptized in Luke four, he goes uh, Luke three he goes into the desert led by the Holy Spirit, and he's and he, he confronts the devil. And it's like, Lord, why? Wow! And so there's these tension places in Scripture, and I want to present some to you today. And the questions I ask you, there's no one answer to this. There's no one worders. So just I want you to contemplate and try to hear what I'm about to say. I've, I've titled the message. Work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. So buckle up, okay? This is going to be a little fire and brimstone, easy listening fire and brimstone. Oh. So, <laughs> uh-oh, my wife says she's out of here. I told her I wouldn't yell. I, I, I promise, right? All right. Let me, let me kind of get us on the same page of maybe some... There's a highway to holiness. In fact, um, it, it speaks of that journey, the highway to holiness. That's in Isaiah 35. And he says the, the wicked and the, the sinful can't enter there, right? But so think of it this way. Is God a God of grace and love? I didn't, that wasn't convincing. Is God a God of grace and love? Okay, he is. Is it possible to believe in too much of his grace? Is it possible to believe in too much of his grace. Okay. Is he a God of justice and judgment? Is it possible to believe in too much of his justice and judgment? Okay. There... I didn't, I, I'm not convinced in some of your answers here, but I, I'm, I'm working with you. Let me, if you think of it this way, think of the highway to holiness. This will be the highway to holiness, right? This is the way, and if you get too far, and this will be a grace, you guys are the grace guys, okay? And this will be the judgment and justice crowd over here, okay? Right. <laughs> yeah, I heard that. All right. So if there are, there are, I won't mention the, the, the church, but there's a mega church that preaches that God loves us so much he would send no one to hell. All right? They're preaching that, that there's no, there, there's no way a God of love would send any of his children to hell. But if you read the word, so there's a place where grace gets so graceful, no matter what I do, I fall off the cliff. I'm so far from the highway of holiness. But then there are other um, teachings that says if you don't do this, 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 and this, you're going to meet the God of justice and judgment, and he's a God who's going to make sure you understand that. Amen. And there's too much justice, there's not enough grace, right? So there's this place in the highway of holiness that God wants us because he tells us, yes, there's grace, and yes, there's judgment. In fact, you know, we're, we believe this word is absolutely correct. But then there's these tension places. We preach grace. We believe in grace. We all want grace. We all need grace. But we also know there's a day coming when he says, I'm going to bar the door, and it's too late. And if you're knocking on the door and you're not in, you're not getting in. So it's like, wait a minute. Which one is it? Work hard. Let's turn with this, turn with me, if you will, 
to Luke Gospel, uh, chapter 13. Luke 13. Lord, I pray right now, I just felt prompted to pray for the election. Lord, in Romans 13, it says, you put the people in power. You put them there. So, Lord, we're asking that your will be done for the United States of America. In Jesus' name. All right. And if you haven't picked up a, a voting thing, and there's one in the foyer there, if you'd like to look at the different candidates. doesn't give. It's very easy to read. All right. Let me ask this. Um, is there a border and a security to heaven? You mean there's ports of entry to heaven? So there's a border in heaven. In fact, the scripture, I'll give you, there's several if you look it up. In uh, Philippians 3.20, it says, be glad that you're a citizen of heaven. Amen. Right? Amen. Only the children of God get to come into the border, right, of heaven. And he says, even in Luke's gospel, where he goes on in chapter uh, 10, where it says they come back from their, their mission trip and they were so excited about the fact that they kicked demons all over the place in his name. And Jesus said, yes, I, yeah, I saw the Satan falling from sky. But he says, don't celebrate that the demons are subject to your name. Celebrate that your name is written in heaven as a citizen of heaven. So I'm going somewhere with this. If you look at citizenship in heaven, locations. So now in Luke's gospel, chapter 13, in verse 22, Luke 13, 22, I'll read out of the New Living at this moment. Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he went, always pressing towards Jerusalem. So he had a mission. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? He replied, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. For many will try to enter, but will fail. And when the master of his house has locked the door, it will be too late. You'll stand on the outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he'll reply, I don't know you, and I don't know where you've come from. But then you'll say, but, but we ate and we drank with you, and, and you taught in our streets. And he will reply, I tell you, I don't know you and where you've come from. Get away from me all you who do evil. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For you will see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you'll be thrown out. Kind of a, wow, Jesus, where's the grace on that one, Lord? Work hard. Let me look at, show you the, the King James says it this way. Verse 24 Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in, and they shall not be able. And when the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, you'll begin to stand and knock, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he will answer and say unto you, I know you not, and whence you are. So this is this narrow door that Jesus speaks about. I've put some questions in your outline that I'd like you to look at. Number one question is striving and working hard. I thought salvation was a gift. It is. Give me a scripture on that, Miss Nancy. 
How about Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? For by grace, finish it. For by grace have I been saved through faith, and yet not of yourselves. It's a gift, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So here's this, here's this tension in Scripture. Grace and the gift of faith gives us salvation. For all who love God, he said in, in John three sixteen, God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that all who believe in him, right? And so here's this, again, this tension in scripture. So let me ask this. Why does he then say strive, work hard to enter the door, the gateway? If it's a gift, why am I, am I striving? Hmm. Number one, if I believe that Jesus is the son of God, why do I have to strive to enter? Why did many try to enter, but they failed? What goes into working hard to enter the narrow door? True or false? God will forgive me so I can do whatever I want. God loves me so much he would never let me suffer in hell. I have been a sinful person and I can't be forgiven. Do I have to take up my cross daily to follow? If so, explain. Number five, grace and love need to be balanced with godly reverence and fear of the Lord. Is that true or false? All right. I realize, you know, you didn't come to church to take a test, but but it's, it's worth balancing what is this scripture? This, you probably have heard it. There's cheap grace. So much grace. I can do whatever I want. I can do it anytime I want. That there's no accountability. God's love so overpowers all that that he'll overlook it. Or you better walk so straight and narrow and upright because if you don't, that God's going to whack you. And God here is on the highway of holiness. And he walks with us. How many of you have used your GPS to get directions? Okay, that's good. I want you to think about this for a minute. The Holy Spirit is given as our comforter, our guide, the one who's called alongside, correct? He's the teacher. And so I want you to think about that. He is the embedded GPS within your heart, within your spirit man. And I know if you walk with the Lord, when you start to get over onto, you get off the highway of holiness track, the Holy Spirit's saying, Tom. Don't go there. Don't think that. Get, get back over. Take a left. Get over here on the highway. Right? How many of you know that when you were a sinner in the world and you were not saved, you were good at it. You could practice it. It didn't bother you. You just. But then as soon as you get saved, it's like, it's just no fun anymore. It's, it's like, oh. So the Holy Spirit is our GPS. And if we'll acknowledge that he's the GPS for us, he'll keep us on the highway. He'll acknowledge grace, but he'll also say, watch out. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So let's go on this highway of holiness. Turn with me, if you will. Let's look at Philippians 2.12. Now, this book was amazing. Paul was in prison when he wrote the four chapters to the church at Philippi. 
It's actually called the joy book, the letters of joy. Over and over again, it's the joy of the Lord. But in the midst of it is an interesting um, shining brightly for Christ in that chapter 2. And Paul writes this like a father to his church there in verse 12. So Philippians 2.12, let's start there. Dear friends, you've always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now I'm away, and it's even important, more important, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. King James says it this way, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And I put that at the bottom of the outline because I wanted to start with the narrow door and the salvation with fear and trembling. So let me ask this, what kind of fear and trembling are we talking about? Well, if you're over here in the justice judgment camp, you better be afraid of God. He's got a big stick, and he's going to get you. You walk off the trail. And Grace says, I can do whatever I want. God loves me. He loves, if he wants me to sleep around and do he just let me do whatever I want. Now, Philippians says, work out your salvation. I, but I just thought we said it was a gift. It is a gift. But you're working out your salvation. The way the New Living Thought for Thought says it is, prove your salvation. The evidence of your salvation. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. For God is working in you, giving you the desire. See, there's the GPS. And the power, the empowerment. We need that. Holy Spirit, power. That's why he said, don't you leave Jerusalem, Acts 1. He says, don't leave, Acts 1, 4, until the Father sends the gift I've told you about. And then 180 says, Acts 180 says, he will come, and when he comes, he will give you power yes. in the Holy Spirit and fire. Yes. Now, there's a reason he told them, look, they, want to mur- they murdered me. I'm here again. They want to lock you up. You hide out, and you stay in the very place where they're hunting you until the Father sends the Spirit. Because when he comes, he will lead you and guide you in all truth. And then we know in Acts 2, he falls on the whole 120 crowd. And then later in Acts chapter 4, he falls again. And then we see in Acts 8, Philip, the guy who distributed House of Mercy goods, he's in Samaria, and it says the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen on them. So when Peter and John get there, it says the Holy Spirit fell on the crowd. In Acts 19, we see Paul is in Corinth, in Corinth the same thing gets to Ephesus, and he gets there, he says, there were believers there, and he asked the question, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He says, no, we don't even know what the Holy Spirit is. We've never heard of him. And he says, well, then what baptism did you experience? Well, the baptism of John. They were water baptized. They were believers who had been water baptized. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have the book. They they didn't know about the Holy Spirit. When, when, When Paul gets there, he says, that experience with John was good, but there's a higher experience. Amen. When he lays hands on him, it says that all 12 of them received the power of the Holy Ghost and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. 
You cannot do this walk. You cannot get the GPS. It's not aligned right without the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. You've got to have it. If not, you'll give yourself too much grace or you'll get so fear and full, full of shame and guilt that you'll judge yourself. So what, what does God want to do? He says, I want you to walk the highway of holiness. Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 14. And while you're turning, well, no, let's do this. Let's go to John 10 first. Let me ask this, so I don't want to leave any confusion. Who is the door? Who's the narrow gate? Jesus is the gate. Now, when he said many will fail, many will try, what's he talking about? What's Jesus warning about? He goes, people are going to try good works. They're going to try other religions. They're going to try some other pathway up to heaven. There is no way to heaven. There's only one way. There's only one. He who has the Son, he who has the Father, has the Son, the Son, Father. He says, if you don't have the Son, you don't have life. If you don't have Jesus Christ in your life, in the baptism of that fire in your life, you do not have life. I don't care what any other denomination, those, I'm talking to somebody right now on, on live streaming. This confusion that's going on in all of the denominational junk, no, there's only one way to heaven. It's through Jesus Christ and him and him alone. He is the door. Let's get it. This is red letter. You there in John 10? Look at this. In John 10, he says it this way. He says, I'm the gate. He's the good shepherd. He's the one. Twice he comes out and he says, I'm the gateway. I'm the door. John 10, he says, I'm the good shepherd of the flock. In verse, let's pick up in verse 6. John 10, 6, he says, those who heard Jesus was the illustration, didn't really understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep, they don't listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. Those who go come freely and go will find good pasture. The thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy. My purpose is to come with life satisfying. Verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. So we know that the narrow gate is Jesus. He is the only way in. So if you think about it, have you ever been through a narrow door? Like, depending on how much Thanksgiving we've had, right? There's a narrow door. You're going to have to work through that door. It's narrow to get through. There's all sorts of things that tells you you can go to, the, you can go to heaven this way, up this pathway. We'll go this way with this path. No. The narrow door. So he says, many will try. And when that door is closed, when that eastern sky splits wide open, he calls it forth, it is done. You can knock as much as you want. There was an opportunity that was given. You refused it. Therefore, the narrow door has now been locked. He says, I don't know you. You're not a citizen. You're not a child of mine. And it's over. Now you might say, wow, that seems, there's a time and a place and an appointment. Moving right along. Let's take a look. The Holy Spirit is the GPS. Turn with me to Galatians 5 and we'll work into John 14. Galatians 5. Now this is Paul writing to the church at Galatia. This is how important it is to have the Holy Spirit in your life. And I know this is a familiar scripture, but I, I just felt like we were supposed to camp here today. 
I really like how Paul speaks of this. He also deals with this in Romans. Paul, you get this idea that Paul struggled. There was the constant battle of things, like any of us, right? He talks about the sinful nature that needs to be sanctified and the Holy Spirit's fire needs to be... So he goes on in Galatians 5.16. My Bible titles this, Living by the Spirit's Power. Living by the Spirit's Power. So I say, verse 16... Let the Holy Spirit guide your life. You might want to underline let. King James says, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Right? So he says, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Here's the GPS. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil. How many can say, I know that guy? which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us a desire that is opposite of what the sinful nature desires. Now, this word right here gives me comfort. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. I have really good intentions. It was so easy in church when the Holy Spirit was moving. But then Monday comes. So this is the place where the Holy Spirit is... He's giving, he says, let the Holy Spirit guide and direct your life. These two forces, that's why you've got to take up the cross daily. Tomorrow morning, you got to get up, you got to pick up your cross, and you got to crucify your flesh, and it would be really good to start out with worship and praise. In fact, usually the first thing I open my eyes, I learned this from I don't know who, says, why don't you welcome the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? So usually the first one I become aware of, I'm awake. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Lord. Good morning, Holy Spirit. And you just spend some time in that place. Spend your devotion. Get yourself in a mode of connecting with the Spirit. Because these two forces, given to your intentions that are out there, the world will pull you off track. People will pull you off track. Now, he goes on. He says this. When you are directed by the Spirit, you're under no obligation to the law of Moses. Now he goes and he gives what's going to happen. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. How many can relate to this? If you follow after the sinful nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, is there anything left? Dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, I have, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, Pastor, wait a minute. I just thought you said it was a gift. Living that sort of life. King James goes on and says, I've told you in time past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So the narrow door to salvation through Christ, the gateway, but there is a place here where my walk with God in the Holy Spirit, well, let's get the good news. Verse 22, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in the lives, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness 
goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ, here we are, who do you belong to? Who is your Lord? If you belong to Christ, you have nailed the passions and the desires of this sinful nature to the cross, and you have crucified them there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let's not become conceited and provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Now, it's, it can't get any clearer than this. There is a choice. Once you have come through the narrow door and you are on the highway to holiness, there is a place where you have to stay in track with God. There's a choice. Now, some will say, well, if they get off track, they were never got through the narrow door. We had this whole argument one Wednesday night. Those who believe once saved, always saved, come over here. Those who think you can lose salvation, come over here. Those who don't know, sit right here. Man, we went for a whole hour and we presented scriptures on all sides of that equation. And I always tell people, why don't you try to stay right on the holiness highway and stop trying to get off? How far can I go in grace? Well, how far can I get off in judgment? Baloney, stop it. Get on the GPS and stay with the Holy Spirit. And this way, he says, and you know this, every time you start to misbehave and the Holy Spirit is sitting there, don't do it, don't, come on now. And the, and the joker's over here, he's saying, you'll be all right, you, can get, you got grace, there's lots of grace. Right? And, and you got this battle going on. You got the dove on one side and the chirper on the other. It's like, oh. And if you mess up, you're like, the Holy Spirit's like convicted you and you're like, man, you've lost your peace and your joy. It's just, just... You just don't feel good. And as soon as you repent and get back on track, it's like, woohoo! He loves me. And that's why we celebrate. We're going to do communion later. We celebrate the fact that the blood of Jesus eradicated it. Man, I read a whole bunch of articles. There were 20 different denominational stances on sanctification. And once you're saved, can you ever sin again? Or can't you? Man, I had a headache by the time I was done last night. But I want you to know this sanctification by Christ, where we want to please him. Remember what we read? We want to please him. All right. Turn with me to John. Now we'll go to John 14. In John chapter 14, right after Jesus in John 10 talks about, I am the gateway. I'm the good shepherd. He then tells him about ready to go away. And if I'm going to go away, I won't leave you as an orphan. And if I'm not, I'm going away, I'm preparing a place for you. Don't be afraid. When everything's ready, I'll come back for you. And he goes, this is a whole interchange with the boys. He walked with them for three and a half years. And he turns and says, so you know where I'm going? And they go, we don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. We don't know the Father. And he's going, oh, boy. Three and a half years of Bible college with Jesus, and they don't get it. And he goes, look, I'm the way. I'm the truth and the life. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he's like, oh, Lord, you're going to have to send the Holy Spirit soon to help out these guys. And he does, praise God. He goes, so, but here I want you to see, in number three, there are words that are similar in meaning or at least in application. I've listed believing. I believe in Jesus. Well, that's great. So do the devils. The devil believes that he's the son of God. Doesn't do him much good because he's not doing it. Why not? Because he doesn't do good works, right? So believing and doing works, saying, loving, and obeying are all equivalent words in the kingdom. 
So when you say, I love Jesus, there needs to be a work and a walk and an obedience in the highway to holiness that keeps me on that track. And so there's an equivalency of where it says, you've got to do. You can't just say, I believe. It's great to believe, but believe has some legs on it. It has room in there to move. There's sweat equity in this process of believing. And so these are the equivalent words, and we see that in John. I'll just hit a few. I listed them there. Look at John 14, 11. He says, just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work that you've seen me do. See, his works proved that he was of the Father, raising the dead, healing the blind, Walking on water, I think, you know. And he says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works. Well, that is humbling. So he says, so the works and the believing are the same. Look at verse 15. Well, yeah, look at 15. If you love me, obey my commandments. So now, love, obedience, works, commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate. He will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who will lead you and guide you in the truth. The world can't recognize him. Then look at verse 21. He says, those who accept my commandments, obey them. And they are the ones who love me. He goes on, he says in verse 23 and 24, all who love me will do what I say. Verse 24, anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. So yes, there's grace, but yes, there's judgment. And yes, there's a commitment. And he gives us the power in the Holy Spirit to do what he's asked us to do. Or it would be unfair for him to request that. And so he tells us that there is a, there's a place. And then he goes on, he says, we read it, the one who practices sin. Number four there, the one who practices sin and continues to live a sinful life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So it's a practice. I looked up that word. It's that continual lifestyle. If you choose a continuous sinful lifestyle, the word says you'll not be there on that day. You'll be outside the door. That's what it says. And so he said, well, well, pastor, that's a little frightening. Now, does that mean you're sinless? No, I, I Oh, there's only one. (laughs) Now, we are declared righteous in him. Romans says it over and over again. You've been the righteousness of Christ by your faith in him. So he makes us righteous. Again, thank you, God, for the grace. But there's this place where we need to understand that lifestyle and choices have a consequence. They have it in the natural, and they have it in the spirit realm. And there is a daily war. Number five, there's a daily war in the spirit and in the flesh. Turn with me to Luke 9, 23. In Luke's Gospel 9, he talks about the battle that all of us every day, I believe, have. Paul said they're constantly at war. That's why Jesus said, take up your cross daily. He, he put it in there daily. Because there may be days when you're really strong in the world, and then there's other days like, man, I am having some trouble. Luke 9, 23 says this. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways and take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. 
But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what will it benefit you if you gain the whole world, but you yourself are lost or destroyed? If anyone's ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and the glory of his Father and the holy angels. I tell you the truth. Some standing here now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. And they saw him going up into heaven. The kingdom had come. So we see this daily war, taking up your cross daily. So it would be a good thing to wake up and be relevant, understanding with there's a battle today between the spirit realm and that which is of the flesh realm. But I have Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me and direct me so that I can please him. Look at number six there. Why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Turn back just a couple of chapters to Luke 6, 46. Jesus talks about the good tree and producing certain fruit. A certain tree produces this fruit. But then he goes in verse 46, Luke 6, 46, he says, So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I'll show you what it's like for someone who comes to me and listens and te- my teachings and then follows it like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on a solid rock. And when the floodwaters rise against the house, it stands. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds their house without a foundation. And when the flood comes, it collapses and they're in ruins. This thing, Lord, Lord, Lord. If he's Lord, he has to be Lord. And this, I'm preaching to me. This is that place. There's every area of our, because in that highway to holiness, I had someone even this week ask me as we were talking, says, well, how do I, how do I hear the Holy Spirit? How do, how do I know it's the Holy Spirit? You have to cultivate the relationship. Um, my wife can look at me, and I got it a thousand words, Right? She doesn't even have to use words when she looks at me because we've been in married 45 years, right? And I can tell that's not a really good look uh, or that is a good look. When I'm really doing something good, I get, hey, there's, that's a good look right there, right? If you've cultivated a relationship with the Holy Spirit, one, it'll, you'll know what it lines up with the Word. You need to know the Word because if it goes contrary to the Word. I had a person come in and says, God loves me so much, it's okay if I sleep with my boyfriend and live with him. I said, well, where's that in the word? Well, he loves me so much. You don't understand truth. Right? right? Well, drunkenness, he'll, God will kind of look the other way on that. It says, drunkenness, no drunkard shall inherit the kingdom. So if you know the word, the, the word will reveal what is true and what is not true. Right? But then there's those other, well, should we go to Israel? That's not, I know. Well, the word of God the strategy of God and the timing of God. We got to go before him and say, Lord, if we're going to Israel, and I prayed this months ago, you set up the timing and you, you invite who's supposed to go. And the Lord will, and, and then when you get ready to go, say, Lord, I believe I've heard you. We're going to lay down the money. This is the time. And the Lord does that. He, in that relationship, if you've ever had a, a relationship with one of your children, grandchildren, where, is it okay, Papa, if we do this? So there's this place where Call to me and be obedient. Also, the lifestyle shows whose child you are. Now, I I usually get some ugly looks on this one, but let's look there. 1 John 3. 1 John 3. 
says it this way. And this was my message at House Mercy on Thursday was, you're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. It, you're not one or the other or halfway in and halfway out. Got a little bit of devil, a little bit, no, no. John wrote this when he was an elder statesman, the only one that was still alive. And he writes in John chapter 3. And let's pick up in, uh, first, I'm sorry, 1 John. Did I say that before? 1 John, yeah. Yeah, 1 John 3, and let's start in verse 6. Well, actually, all of it's so good. Let's begin in verse 1. <laughs> It'll set the context. 1 John 3, 1. See how very, very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. Now, if you lock in on that verse, grace, grace, hallelujah. And that's what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we're the children, God's children, because they don't know him. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what will we be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for sin is contrary to the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away sin and that there's no sin in him. And anyone who continues to live in him, here's the lifestyle, will not sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. That's a powerful word right there. Anyone who keeps on this lifestyle doesn't know him and doesn't understand who he is. Dear children, verse 7, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they're righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows they belong to the devil who's been sinning from the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the work of the devil and those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them so they can't keep on sinning because they are the children of God. So now we can tell who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Now, is that pretty clear? I mean, you know, now you don't want to walk around and say, well, that commentator on the news and what they're providing, they're a bunch of children of the devil. You might want to keep that to yourself, but, but it doesn't go over well, you know. But at the same time, you'll know by the practice and the lifestyle and what's being professed. That's why you need to study the platforms of the two parties. The last time I brought both platforms, a couple of years I brought both platforms and I said, here's the platforms of this DNC and here's the platforms of the RNC. Who you vote for says that you're in agreement. So what's the lifestyle of this platform and what they're professing for your children and your grandchildren and what's this platform professing? You need to decide. But I do believe you will be held accountable for who we empower. I'm not telling you who to vote for, but you are responsible to take a look at lifestyle because you can tell if you want to be led by people who are walking with the devil, 
The consequence of that we read in Galatians. That's all the consequences of those who are walking in that place, but those who walk in the spirit realm will produce this kind. Just a little side note. All right. We'll end this thing. Let me, he tells us to be careful how we live. And maybe this is your experience. Let's turn to, to 1 Peter 4.1. 1 Peter 4.1. If you were walking with a wild crowd and you were one of the wild children, when you come to know Christ, it can get a little dicey in the midst of separating from those friends, right? Anybody had that experience? You got called out like, what are you? What are you, Jesus freak now? And Okay. Yes, I is. Okay, verse 1, 1 Peter 4.1. So then, since Christ suffered physical pain... You must arm yourself with the same attitude that he had and be ready to suffer too. See, fighting the flesh is suffering. That's why he said, he says that we need to suffer in this realm. It says, Jesus suffered things as well, which is kind of wild. It says, he learned obedience by the things he suffered. Goes, so if you have this mindset, you'd be willing to physically, he says, presenting yourself as a living sacrifice. That Romans 12 scripture, presenting yourself a living sacrifice. If you want to sin because sin is pleasurable, people who want to go out and get drunk or do things immoral, there's pleasure in the sin. But he says, I want you to present yourself a living sacrifice, the kind that he'll accept. If you will fight that desire and put it under the blood of Jesus, it will produce life in your life. If you don't, just look at the consequences, DWIs, immorality, you know, all sorts of stuff that goes along with all the stuff we read. So he says, you're going to be having this attitude that you're willing to physically fight this thing. And that can be, I don't want to gossip, I don't want to overeat. I mean, there's a whole lot of things the Lord can put in forms of idolatry that we fight against to stand up in righteousness. Have you finished with your sin? Verse 2. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desire, but you'll be anxious to do the will of God. Wow. You've had enough with the past of the evil things that godless people enjoy. The immorality and the lust and the feasting and the drunkenness and the wild parties and the terrible worship of idols. Of course, your former friends are surprised when you no longer plunge into the flood of wild, destructive things they do. So they slander you. They remember that they're going to have to face God who will judge everyone, both the living and the dead. This is why the good news was preached to those who were in the dead. He went into the earth and preached those three days. So here we see this battleground between old-style life. You're going to have to make some changes. Maybe there's friends that you need to say, look, I can't hang with this crowd. I can't do this anymore. Well, I don't have any friends. That's lonely. You got Jesus. He'll, he'll, make, it, he'll, make, he'll make the right kind of folks available to you. He tells us, be careful how you live. Turn with me back to Colossians 3. Pastor Willie, I was preparing my sermon. He says, and he had opened to Colossians 3. He goes, wow, read this. Colossians 3, 5. Colossians 3, 5 says, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. <laughs> wow. It's like, put to death the sinful things lurking within you. That feels like creepy. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of the world. Because of the sins, the anger of God is coming. 
You used to do these things when your life was still part of the world, but now it's time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Don't lie to each other. You've stripped off the old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. So put on your new nature, renewed. Learn to know your creator and become like him in this new life. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile, circumcised, unbarbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters in all of us. Man, that's a good word. He goes on and he says, the night is almost gone. Let me end with this. Turn with me to Romans, 12, uh, Romans 13. We'll end on this scripture. Romans 13. And we'll begin maybe in verse 12 here. Let's see. Romans 13. Oh, man, this is such a great scripture. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's begin in verse 11. Romans 13, 11. This is all the more urgent for you. Know how late it is? Time is running out. Wake up, for your salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. The night is almost gone, and the day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like your dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of the right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties, drunkenness, sexual promiscuity, immoral living, quarreling, jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourselves think of ways to indulge your evil desire. Don't let yourself think of evil ways. Man, that's that take every thought captive, right? In 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6, he says, take every thought captive. Let's stand. I'm going to invite the ministry team, if you'll come. Now, I realize this... This word is, it's convicting for all of us. It's convicting for all of us. It's convicting for me. Every one of us can walk this road of holiness. The Holy Spirit is here. So I want to do two things. One, you're right, Katie. I totally did. Thank you, Katie. Terry, would you roll that over? I'm sorry. Have a seat, guys. <laughs> can I give a testimony for this? Yeah. It's so good to have Katie. She never, she's like the Rolodex of me. Thank you, Katie. I want to share something with you because it's as if he wrote this from what's happened to me. Mm. Um, back in the 80s, I was unsaved. I have two friends that took me to church. Fast forward. Um, she called me. I was there when they got married. I was there when she graduated with her uh, MBA. Very close friends. And she called me in late May. And she said, Thomas had a stroke. Mm -hmm. And it's bad. So I went in June with my family to do some vacation. And I carved out time to see her. She was in a really bad place. 
and she told me all the, the needs that she had. So I went back two weeks later, which is 4th of July week, and I spent the week with her doing physical labor to get the house to where he could get his wheelchair out the door, those kind of things. You'll see, you know this story. So I went, I had been doing the ministry training with Pastor Terry, and I went with two things in mind, to help her fix the garage and the doorways so he could get his wheelchair, and for this man to be saved. Mm -hmm. This is outside of my comfort zone. But, and uh, let me back forward. When they took me to church, they were both Christians, but she had grown up, her family heritage is Jewish. So somewhere in all these 40 years, she went back to her family roots, and she took him with her. So I had an obstacle. My friend is Jewish. Her husband goes to synagogue with her. I'm going in to preach Jesus. So the Lord just did it so cool. Um, I had a prayer covering, and he did it so cool. We were working in the garage, and my friend had asked me, will you pray for him? Even though she's Jewish, she asked me to pray for him, and I said, I will. And I waited on the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and the days grew to where it was almost time for me to go. And the caretaker came out and said, Pat, Tom wants to see you. And I said, okay. Now, give me a little aside. Standing here this Sunday before I left, I was talking to Lisa. And a woman who's not here today, whose name I don't remember, she came up to Lisa and she said, I have this Jesus Calling book. Do you know anyone that wants it? And I went, no. And then I said, ooh, wait a minute, yeah, I do. <laughs> I'll take that from my friend Tom. So I had wrapped it in brown paper that I found in his garage, tied it with string that I found in his garage. So I go in and I said, I brought you a present. And he opened it and he's like, this is nice. And I said, okay, you want me to pray for you? And he said, yes, I do. So um, he'd lost the use of one side and he couldn't walk and he was in a wheelchair. And so I prayed. And I saw significant improvement. And then I said to him, Tom, you almost died, huh? And he's like, yeah. And I said, was it really scary? And he said, yeah. And I said, has anyone ever explained to you about Jesus? And he said, no. So I explained Jesus. And I said, he said, well, how do I get this? And I said, we can do it right now. We don't have to wait. And so we did, right? So then when I'd see him, he'd say, I'm reading this Jesus Calling. Now, this house has Buddha statues in it. It has menorahs in it. So there was an obstacle there. Some okay. Different, different doors. <clears throat> yeah. And I sat down with her that night at the kitchen table, and I said, now, listen, I need you to allow him to have a relationship with Jesus. I need, I need you to do that. You see that he's physically better. He came to dinner that night at the dinner table. Um, he was stronger in his arm. He was stronger in his leg. Okay, that was four months ago today. And in the wee hours of yesterday morning, he went home. Wow. He went home. He went home to Jesus. And he's been telling you all of this. But there is an urgency. Four months to the day. What if I hadn't gone? What if I'd lost my courage? What if I let the obstacles get in my way? I am changed. I will not be quiet any longer. 
because thank you lord the next time i see you the next time i have an opportunity to see you you may not be there any longer life is short so you think of the people you know that don't know jesus and if you're in this room now and you don't know jesus we need to fix that before you leave. We absolutely have to fix that before you leave. And I honestly think there's someone here or the Holy Spirit wouldn't have sent me up here. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Well, that's good. Come on up here, Pat. And let me, uh, Brian and Lisa, why don't you come over here. If you're here this morning, I just felt like there, were, there might have been someone here that needs to give their life to Christ that you've been convicted. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Today's the day. So if that's you and you want to rededicate your life, you got off track, you realize, man, I'm, I'm way over here and I want to pray with someone. It says today is the day of salvation. Why don't you come and before we take communion, because there is a warning in the book, 1 Corinthians 11 says, don't take this unworthily. Don't think that grace is going to cover all of your mess that you can get some kind of check mark this morning. It's not the way it works. There's a relational part where we come and we repent. Repentance means you turn. You turn away from the past and you get back on track. But then there's no guilt and there's no shame either. In Romans 8, he says, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. In 1 John 1, 9, he says, if you will confess your sin... He's faithful. I love it. He's faithful to forgive you from all unrighteousness. That's the amazing part of grace. When we come over and judge ourselves, then he says, I don't need to judge you. And then we come to the table of grace and he applies the blood. And as far as the east is from the west, he separates my sin from me. What a God. What a God. So if you're here this morning and before we take communion, just come and receive prayer from our team here. Lord, we just come and we thank you that the word of God is active and it's alive. And I, I know reading through those scriptures, I was convicted this week. Lord, the, the, the narrow road, does the road get narrower the longer we walk with him? That's an interesting question. As we know more and more of the truth, it says much more is required. You teachers, much more is required of you. You shall be judged according to the light that you have been shown. So the road gets narrower. Now, the grace is still there and the love is still there. No condemnation. So, Lord, we thank you that on the night that you were betrayed, you took the bread and you broke it and said, come and take and eat this. Let this become part of who you are. Let it become part of who you are. And then, Lord, he said he took a cup and he sealed this covenant in his blood, the royal blood of the one who was sent by the Father to live and to die and to be raised for us. So the communion table is open. If you'll come down, let's form two lines here in the center come down this way and this way. If you have any physical difficulties, you can come to the back of the table. 